Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast on Radio MD, iHeart, or wherever you download us from. Thank you very much for doing it. We have a great guest, a sensational guest today, and one of the people who I idolize because he's made such a big change. The founder of the Blue Zones, the originator of the entire concept, the Blue Zones, Secrets for Living Longer, Lessons from Healthiest Places on Planet, is Dan Butner. And Dan, I am in awe of what you've done and how much difference you've made. We're sponsored by both our own website, longevityplaybook.com. You can sign up for free newsletters there to a week, no charge, or the actual age test. Or, of course, the other sponsor is lifefirstnaturals.com, lifefirstnaturals.com, the makers of bovine colostrum and true biotics, two of the things I take. You can see their randomized double-blind studies on that website, Life's First Naturals, and why I take them. Dan has made major changes in health in a number of cities in America, and hopefully he'll keep doing that and keep spreading the word. I should tell you that I got a copy of this beautiful book, The Blue Zone Secrets for Living Longer, Lessons from the Healthiest Places on Earth, which is produced by National Geographics. And the pictures are probably worth more than twice the price of the book. It is exquisitely done. But the science in it isn't bad either. The data that drove me to realize how important posse and purpose were, where it's from the Whitehall study and the Alameda studies way back in the 50s and 60s, where stress was the greatest ager and having friends and family was the key. Is that true of all in all the blue zones in those basic five blue zones? It is. There's vocabulary for purpose and family is a priority, much, much more so than say profession or your sports team or hanging out with your friends. You know, remember when I first started this, I approached it as a journalist, a science journalist. We spent actually a long time identifying places where people were living statistically longest and verifying the age. They had the health outcomes that we want, which is to live a long time, largely without chronic disease. And I had no idea why. I just went about looking for the common denominators in this it was the word ikigai that got me headed down this path. The Okinawans have this great word for the reason for which I wake up in the morning. You could ask that of any centenarian and they knew it off the top of their head. And same thing with family. That's especially pronounced among the, the longest of men in the world, the Sardinians, who work hard their entire life. And if you ask, why are you breaking your back to do this work? It's always for the family. They would never put their aging parent in a retirement home. Why? Because it would shame the family. So, Dan, the other thing that is incredible is you've helped cities, counties, states, regions change their policies 
to foster what I would call lifestyle changes that promote 10 years of longevity. The reason I've got 10 years of longevity on the mind is the X Prize has recently come out and said we're awarding $101 million for the pharmaceutical for the treatment that extends life 10 years by 2030. So $101 million is a lot. You've already done that. We did that at the Cleveland Clinic with lifestyle changes for 101,000 employees. But you've done that for a number of cities. But they aren't making lifestyle choices and the motivation and the environmental changes or the policy changes part of that prize. I'd like you to get to change that because you deserve the prize. Thank you very much. <laughs> I would take it. And, the, you know, the other problem I have with the pharmaceutical, sometimes it just prolongs a crappy life. When you look at the lives of these people in blue zones who are living up to an extra decade without chronic disease, by the way, largely without chronic disease, and it's joyous. They're connected to their friends. They're eating wonderful food. It's mostly whole food, plant-based they're active, they interact with nature, they have strong sense of purpose. They're not shooting themselves up with stem cells or the blood of younger people and working out six hours a day. They're just living their life. And the key insight, Mike, and by the way, I read your The Great Age Reboot. I think it's a fantastic book. And I think it does a great job at articulating the lifestyle, responsible lifestyle strategies for living longer. But the question that still remains is how do you get people to do it for long enough to actually make a difference? I mean, you make a very persuasive argument for certain vitamins. I believe it. But, you know, when people start taking vitamins, they do it for a while, then they hear of a new supplement or they run out and they forget to reorder. The reason Blue Zones projects have worked well is because we think of people's unconscious choices. And when we come into a city, it's to solve a problem. We're hired. We bring a team of people in for five years. We're usually funded by the insurance companies or the hospital systems. And we come in and we help city council identify the most feasible and effective policies that favor healthy food over junk food, that favor the pedestrian and the cyclist over the motorist, and favor the non-smoker over the smoker. So tell us some of the specifics on those, because I'm really interested in learning what we can do. When, whenever we testified on the Cleveland Clinic plan, which if the government had put it in would save almost a trillion dollars if the same number adopted it as adopted it at the Cleveland Clinic, we actually pay our employees to get healthy. And Medicare is so expensive, you could pay them to do healthy choices, if you will. But the cynics were, you know, if you will, some of the cynics thought the only reason you're getting this data is so you can fire people with disabilities. No, in fact, we, we don't do that. What policies can we put in place for the whole nation? Is there something we could do for the nation in a policy way to get them to change so that we can, I mean, we have, we have an epidemic of chronic disease in the United States that's wiping out some of the progress we've made in medical therapies. We're not doing enough in lifestyle. What could we do for the country? Yeah, so I'll give you two 
general ideas and then a specific idea. So, you know, if you take a sedentary person, somebody who's not moving at all and get them just moving 20 minutes a day and 20 minutes a day, about three quarters of Americans don't even get that 20 minutes. We just get them walking 20 minutes a day. We add three years to their life expectancy almost immediately. It turns out that if you live in a city that's walkable and bikeable, that has public transportation, that physical activity level is about 20% greater at the population level than a city that's snarled in traffic. I live in Miami. Miami is a perfect example. Or Tallahassee, Florida. A city can adopt something called a complete streets policy, which requires the city planners that every time a new street is constructed, that happens about once every seven years on average in America, that it is built for a sidewalk, safe sidewalk, a bike lane, and uh, narrower traffic lanes to slow traffic down. So that's one thing we could do right away. The other thing, a little bit harder, but would make even a bigger difference. Right now, we subsidize the ingredients, the inputs for most of our junk food in America, whether it is feedlot grains like soybeans and corn that produce this not-so-healthy feedlot meat. Americans eat about 220 pounds per year of that, or corn for high fructose corn syrup, or you know wheat for cheap white bread. If we stop subsidizing those and move the subsidies to things like beans and grains and greens and fruits, you would get a 30 or 40% shift in consumption because many Americans are going to buy what's cheapest for them. And companies are going to take cheap inputs and add their food scientists to make it taste great and hire the brightest minds on Madison Avenue to market to us and take the profit. So if we make the healthy inputs cheaper, you're going to have a gradual switch to healthier food. And I would say 60% of the longevity formula in America is what we eat or fail to eat. So let's get the policy on that. The policy would be to take the subsidy we put into corn and put it into vegetables, if you will, other vegetables. Yeah. What would stop it from going into corn? Corn's a vegetable. Well, right now, you know, Earl Butts, Nixon's Secretary of Agriculture, he set this up. So the commodities in America that get the big subsidies from the farm bill are corn, soybeans, wheat, rice, sugar beets. So those are the big five. And you can, you can track right along with the rise in obesity, the increased output of those five commodity foods. And America has this distribution system set up so it's easy to get around. And it's the corn that we make high fructose corn syrup out of and Doritos You know, most of the junk food is made from those five cheap inputs. But how do we, in other words, if you say, let me go and give you a specific example. As you know, Orrin Hatch, not Orrin Hatch, um, I'm blanking on the uh, senator all of a sudden from Iowa. But in any case, how would you say for him to write the bill? Because soybeans are fine. Yeah, but they're but not the way we use them. We use them for feedlot animals. So how do you how do we get it so that you'd subsidize the right commodities? I would just say stop subsidizing the commodity the junk food input commodities, period. Make us pay the real price. Because then the price of Doritos, 
and these sugar cereals and crappy pork and crappy beef, the price from all those would go up and the consumption would go down. I'm not saying that these foods once in a while aren't bad for us, but 75% of Americans are obese or overweight. That's from eating processed food and from eating the glut of animal product. In blue zones, people eat about 20 pounds of meat a year. We eat 11 times more than that. And no matter how you feel about meat, a little bit's probably fine, but a lot of it we know is associated with higher rates of cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, and cancers of the GI tract. So I'd rather see Americans eating more whole food plant-based like we see in blue zones. Beans and grains and tubers and things that come out of gardens and, and nuts as snack. So let's get specific. So I can understand the street that is getting the walking and the sidewalks and the bigger bike paths, if you will. Although I'm still scared of bike paths. I don't know if you ever drive a car in San Francisco. Bikers cut in front of you all the time, and it scares the hell out of me if I, when I'm in a Uber watching the Uber driver try and avoid the bicyclist. But I like the I, sidewalk paths and sidewalks. Can we figure out a policy... In other words, one of the things the senator did, I know, is he put more subsidies in tree nuts and took some away from corn. Is there another type of thing we could say, a way of of doing? So in my uh, Netflix documentary series that I just aired, began airing a couple months ago, Living to 100 Secrets of the Blue Zones, I profile Singapore. Singapore People there live about 12 more health-adjusted years than Americans do. So those are a dozen more years in, in full health than we do in the United States. Some of the things, they actually tax sugar because we know sugar is associated with. So this is a more direct way of getting at the same outcome. If you drink a Coke in Singapore, it has 20% less sugar than a Coke you'd buy in the UK. So... It is the government coming in and taking responsible research, like the type that Cleveland Clinic generates, or I would also say Harvard, Walter Willett's work, and take that research and then go about taxing the unhealthy things and then subsidizing the healthy things. Most of my work, Mike, all of my work happens at the municipal level. So you asked me a question that's really beyond my pay grade. Well, let me go back to your pay grade then. One of the cities you've worked with is in Minnesota, another one in Oklahoma, I know. What laws or what policies did you get changed in, for example, Minnesota? I think you had tremendous success there. Yes, we had tremendous success. That was one of our early ones. So we were successful in changing a municipal policy to enable the parks, there were these parks that were the parks and recs were just mowing lawns. We got them to change it. So we were allowed to put in community gardens and we put in four community gardens and they instantly filled up. They're still used today. So all of a sudden the access to fresh fruits and vegetables, mostly vegetables was open to another few hundred people. Another example, we did this in Iowa, which was a policy that allowed people to have gardens in their front yard. One city did not allow for farmer's market. We, we got that changed. On all of our policy bundles, 
we do ask the city councils to consider a soda tax, which has been done very successfully in Mexico and Chile. The way those taxes work as the revenue is then spent on childhood health programs. You're taking this unhealthy practice and making it more expensive and then subsidizing health initiatives. That works very well all around the world. Of course, you ask the Beverage Association and they'll tell you it doesn't work. But of course, they have an interest in not being taxed. Now, what happened? I thought they did that in Philadelphia, did they, as well as Berkeley? Yeah, childhood obesity went down. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, so there's some successes in that. Yes, in America, five there, there are five cities that have successfully implemented it. And the lobbyists are pounce on that. The Beverage Association lobbyists pounce on that. They don't want to see that happen. They'll argue that you're making food more expensive for poor people, but soda should be more expensive for poor We don't need sodas. It's almost, it's the number one source of refined sugar in our diet. Do we deserve to treat ourselves once in a while? Yes. But, you know, for a while there, the average American child was drinking about a gallon of soda a week. It's gone down a little bit, but it's a toxin. And what about other policies? So we've talked about sidewalks. We've talked about the food subsidies. Are there other things you do? I mean, you were, you've saved, you changed people's life expectancies, healthy life expectancies, joyful life expectancies in a number of municipalities by 10 to 12 years, decrease the health costs, should be make those cities more competitive for jobs. Tell me other things you've done. So consider the individual. And from the time the individual wakes up until she goes to bed, you want to nudge her to make slightly better decisions all, all day long. So part of the way you do that is through policy. And we don't come and tell a city what to do. We run a consensus process where they assess every policy for effectiveness here and feasibility here. And if both of those, you can check both of those boxes and we can usually get it passed. But moving on from policy, we have a second squad that administers a blue zone certification program for all restaurants, grocery stores, workplaces, schools, and churches. And we try to get 30 to 50% of those to change their, optimize their policies and designs so people unconsciously move more, eat less junk food, and eat more healthy food, socialize in a healthy way, and have an outlet for their purpose. And usually we can get 30 to 40% of all those aforementioned places certified. And then we can get usually 10 to 15% of individuals to become a Blue Zone ambassador where they take checklists into their home, they optimize their kitchen and the rest of their home so they're nudged into moving more and eating better, eating less. We help them connect with a group of four or five other people. We call it a MOAI. We organize them around walking and eating Blue Zones meal, which is to say whole food plant-based. And then we give them a purpose workshop and organize curated volunteer opportunities for them so they know their purpose and they have an outlet because we know that people who volunteer as a class have lower BMI, lower cardiovascular disease, and in at least two studies, lower healthcare costs. So it's the convergence of people, places, and policy deployed for five years with a professional staff 
managed by our team of experts, and we've never failed. We have Gallup measure it, and we've never failed at improving the, the health and the, the measured well-being of a city. But it's a big investment. How big an investment is it for the city? In other words, if you took a city of 10,000 people, is it a dollar a person? Is it $10 a person? Is it $100 a person? And the return on it, because of health costs, has to be even more substantial. I mean, it's just such a, a great return you probably get. So I'll give you just one case. Uh, Fort Worth tax. First of all, the government doesn't pay anything. We don't, we don't go after taxpayer dollars. They're always privately funded and publicly endorsed. So the cost of the city is the city manager, the mayor, the city council. They have to invest their um, political equity in this. And the cost to the – then we go out and we find the money. And it's usually an insurance company or hospital system. Like Cleveland Clinic, we've been talking to Cleveland Clinic, believe it or not, and I think they're considering a blue zone. No, no, you've done it with our, we're actually involved at one of our regional hospitals in Warrensville, Ohio, a, a suburb. Got it, got it. So they're doing it. Yes, and I applaud you for that. So Fort Worth, Texas, we had to hire 35 people for five years and, you know, give pay them a, a really a good wage and retirement and, and rent an office and, you know, buy pencils and copiers and all that. And, but I know Gallup calculated we saved them a quarter of a billion dollars a year in projected health care costs. Because all of our work is permanent or semi-permanent changes to the environment, we're not telling people to take these supplements or remember to take these supplements. We're changing policies. We're changing the streets. So the streets are permanently more walkable. We're making smoking laws tougher, so we enforce no smoking. And these things tend to be have a long tail on them or, or permanent in many cases. So the effect outlasts anything we could ask people to remember or ask anything we, we would ask people to conjure the discipline to do. So I want to go back and say a couple of the things in this magnificently beautiful book called Blue Zones. Secrets for Living Longer, Lessons from the Healthiest Places on Earth, and the Netflix film that went with it, is that you also give people ways to start and ideas. So one of the neat things I thought was, not only do you have food guidelines in here, but you talk about this for the individual, rules to live by. And one of the things I'm looking back as I read it is there are lessons from Singapore's blue zones. There are lessons from each of these areas, blue zones, lessons from Okinawa's blue zones, etc. This book is just wonderful and has been a substantial piece of work you've done to help people live younger, longer, and there are individual things. If you're a mayor, tell us how the mayor should contact you or the city manager should contact you, or the county manager should contact Blue Zones. How do they get that? Is it bluezones.com, bluezones.org? What's the process? Yeah, bluezones.com, or I'm at dan at bluezones.com. You can send me an email. Easy enough. My name's Dan. My book is Blue Zones, Blue Zones, Dan at bluezones.com. Or the Blue Zones website, there's a 
tab, you can hit community and it'll sort of walk you through the process. Fantastic. Thank you very much. I can't thank you enough for America for doing what you're doing. I know you're speaking in Las Vegas in a week or two. Thursday, in two days. So have fun there. Good luck at converting all of those who are there into Blue Zones advocates, because what you're doing is tremendous. And if you are succeed in converting Las Vegas into a Blue Zone, I will absolutely salute you as the most magnificent magician in the world. So, I think Vegas is a place you come from to go into a Blue Zone. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Anyway, thank you. The 50,000 of you who download us weekly, thank you for doing that. You're the reason we do this. The book is The Blue Zones, Secrets for Living Longer, Lessons from the Healthiest Place on Earth. This isn't about the Blue Zones. It's about what you can take from the Blue Zones to put into your life. It's a magnificent work. And if all you do is get it for the pictures and visiting those five places, get it for that reason. It's a great, great book. And the Netflix series, The Blue Zones, is also part of Dan's work and based on this book. Thanks again, Dan. And thank you, our listeners. You're the reason we do this.